Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you today, uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. You know, I will say this is the best part of the Bible, my favorite part of the Bible. I shouldn't say the best part, but my favorite part of the Bible, but I say that a lot. I'm, I'm... So, in Acts chapter 9, we see the introduction of a certain fellow by the name of Saul. But, before we get to Acts chapter 9, I shouldn't have said turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Uh, well, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts 22... Remember this verse, we just studied it a little while ago, a little bit more in depth, not super in depth because we're going to get there eventually, but in Acts 22 verse 4, by Paul's own account, he says in chapter 22 verse 4 of the book of Acts, I, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. He says later on in verse 5, he says to bring them in chains, to bring in chains even those who were there in, uh, there to Jerusalem to be punished. So you see, it's like Paul before the Damascus Road, is when he was Saul, you know, it, it wasn't, it, it, it was very terrifying for the church. And remember, we talked about that last week or a couple weeks ago. That was a time when there was the, the, the beginning of the diaspora in the church where people were leaving. They were just saying, hey, it's too dangerous. Let's get out of Dodge. And they were fleeing. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, Saul, it says he was consenting to the death of Stephen, a beautiful, beautiful man by the name of Stephen. And you see, Saul was consenting to his death, his martyrdom. The cost for being a Christian cost Stephen his life. And you see in here in Acts chapter 9 verse 1, and we kick off our studies here in continuation through our, our, our studies through the Bible, verse by verse, line upon line, and precept upon precept, Old Testament interpreting new, New, new Testament interpreting the old. And you're going to see, we're going to look at certain passages which reveal a little bit more, a little bit deeper. And so here it says in chapter 9, verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder. You see, it's... Me personally, I have to be careful with these passages. I have to be very, very, very careful with these passages because of my old nature, my former nature. You know, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. But in a former life, you know, my BC days... There was a lot of pride, a lot of arrogance, and a lot of violence. And these certain behaviors of this guy by the name of Saul, before his Damascus Road experience, they stir up certain things in me. And here you have Saul, he's still breathing his threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. You know, that was, that was his goal. That was his mission. And if you remember, when we looked at uh, in uh, Acts uh, 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 twenty-two, he in, in, or in, not in Acts twenty-two, but well, in Acts twenty-two, verse four, what we read, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. But in Galatians chapter one, verse thirteen, it is also revealed by Paul's own admission, his own personal account, that his goal was to destroy the church. So he's on a mission, Saul, a mission. And it says in chapter 9, verse 1, that he went to the high priest. 
He was against the church, against the disciples of the Lord, and he goes to the high priest. This is the high priest in accordance to the world. In accordance with Israel, he goes to the high priest. Because there's a different high priest in the order of Melchizedek that he's about to encounter. But in accordance with the world, he goes to the high priest. In verse 2, it says, And asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were, if he found any who were of the way. You see? The way. It's kind of cool how the word of God kind of outlines directions. The word became flesh and he speaks loud and clear. You know, I tell you the truth, the Lord put on my heart, hey, you know, start a church. And I fought with him for a while. You know, I was like, I can't, this is, this is, you know, no offense, Lord, but this is, this is wild. I can't do this. And through prayer, much prayer, and through discussing certain things, you know, praying things with my wife, praying things and seeking the, the Lord, and then receiving confirmation. I could tell you guys more about it later on. And then I remember, it's like, you know, Lord, what, what do I even name the, the church? I don't even, I can't come up with a name. What do I name? And then immediately, the way. I even asked again, Lord, what do I name the church? Yeah, are you saying I should call it the way? And then again, the way. And so me personally, it kind of makes me angry when I read these verses. Because what he did is he sent letters to the synagogues, you know, of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You know, I have to be very careful with these verses. Because it makes me mad. I'll be honest. I'll be straight up. It makes me mad. You know, I'm a pastor. The Lord called me to be a pastor, a teacher, you know. And, you know, it, just as he did with Philip, you know, he could change it. You know, he could change it. You, you're calling, you know, not me. You know, you, you're abiding in Christ and you, you are in Christ. But, you know, he'll take you from point A to point B. And as it is right now, it's like, okay, teach. Aye, aye, sir. You know, and it's just like, okay, in my role as a pastor, in my position as a pastor, it's to feed the sheep. Feed the sheep, feed the lambs. But then there's another side of the coin, which is to protect the sheep. So it's like, you know, we have our little flock and it's like, okay, you know, sheep, sheep, lamb, sheep, sheep, lamb, you know. And it's like, okay, you know, praise be to the Lord. And, you know, if the Lord grows it, the Lord grows it. But then at the same time, it's like, okay, who's the wolf? Who's the wolf? Where's the snake? Is there snakes among the among the flock? Are there snakes on the ground? If there are, I want to kill them. You know, if there are wolves, I want to kill them. If there are lions, I want to kill them. There's only one lion that I'll allow in, that I'll permit in. As pastors, in the, the protective role as pastor, and that's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that's not to say, you know, we're going to see Saul, how he's like, you know, coming against the church. But that's not to say that these people can't be reached. That's not to say that a person can believe in Jesus Christ. That's not to say that a person can repent and receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. But, you know, 
pastors, elders have a protective role. These are things that Paul writes about himself to the church, to Titus, to to pastors. To the church a little bit, but mostly to pastors. Timothy and Titus, exhortations to the elders, which we're going to see later on in the book of Acts, future chapters. I have to be very careful with these because it's like I read these things, you know, Saul in verse 1, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And in verse 2, that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You know, this is like, I don't like that. I don't like these verses. You know, and it's so cool because the Lord can reach anybody. We see the life of Saul, Paul, before he became before he became a Christian, before he came to the Lord. You know, let his life testify that God can reach anybody, that God can transform anybody. When you're up against situations where it's like, man, this guy is helpless, this guy's hopeless, this lady is hopeless. Never, ever, ever lose hope. And you see how, you know, the Lord changes his path right here. And so he he's persecuting the church. He was a great, great, great persecutor of the church, people of the way, people of the faith, people, believers in Jesus Christ, male, female, young, old. You know, we see these accounts, what we read in Acts 22. And then, you know, in, in Galatians 2, Paul gives these accounts. I mean, he was hardcore. And he was doing it in observance of the law. So look what happens here in verse 3. As he journeyed. You know what's so cool about this? It's like, you know, he sought the high priest. And now it's the high priest that seeks him. He sought the high priest, lowercase h, lowercase p. And the uppercase h and the uppercase p is seeking him. Jesus Christ. The high priest in the order of Melchizedek. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. This is like supernatural events that we're going to look at here in these next passages. Supernatural. I mean, beyond natural. I mean, super. I mean, you break the word down. Super, beyond, you know, the, the uh, beyond the boundaries of the norm. Supernatural. These are beyond comprehension to the natural man, to the natural woman. They're supernatural. They're they're, they're spiritually discerned. But the light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Remember, I mean, one could look at this and say, okay, how is he, how is he persecuting Jesus Christ? One could look at this and say, you know, Saul's acts of aggression, Saul's Persecution is against the church, is against believers. And then one can also say Jesus Christ takes it personally. I say that specifically that, you know, one could say these things. But I say it's much deeper than that. So, yeah, somebody could say, yes, Saul's persecuting the church. Why is Jesus Christ saying me? Jesus Christ is taking it personally, but it's much deeper than that. Remember Jesus Christ when he says, hey, abide in me and I will abide in you. 
It's a deep, deep, deep love relationship. You know, Christians that are abiding in him and then all of a sudden they're up against persecution and Jesus Christ goes to the persecutor. Hey, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It trips me out sometimes. You know, as we approach the last, as we get deeper and deeper into the last days, you know, it's like all these people, they say, why would God allow us to suffer? Why would God allow us to suffer? It's like, you know, it, it's like, do you not read your Bible? You know what? You, you think you're special? They're suffering. The Christians are early brother, brothers and sisters. Persecution. You read the Old Testament. Judah, Israel. Persecution. God didn't spare the natural branches. God didn't spare the angels, as we're going to see in our future studies. You know, you look at the entirety of the angels before the fall. Before their fall. There's the fall of the angels and there's the fall of man. There's actually several several points in history of the fall of man. You know, one was uh, um, the Tower of Babel. Noah. Sodom and Gomorrah. There's all these examples of the fall of man in certain dispensations <laughs> I have tea with me if you hear me pause <clears throat> but it blows me away why would God allow his people to suffer you see suffering all throughout the Bible and I'm not saying that you know hey we should seek suffering but don't be alarmed don't be surprised when you're on the receiving end of suffering and our Lord goes directly. The high priest in the order of Melchizedek goes directly to the persecutor, goes to Saul. In verse 5, and he said, this is Paul speaking now, and he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to it is hard for you to kick against the goads. This is a big, huge statement right here. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Translates as pricks or points. It's like it, 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 uh, the, the farmers in the olden days or the leaders of big ox, uh, like oxen, they would have the, they would lead them. They would be strapped like uh, uh, around the neck or around like the big, huge neck of the ox. You know, there'd be this strap that would go around the, uh, the waist of the person behind it, the one who was doing the, uh, the leading. And then they would have a stick in their hand. Sometimes they would have big, huge sticks in, in each hand. And, you know, if the if the ox started to go to the right, they would take that stick and hit it on the legs, in the back legs, in the hindquarters. But at the end of the sticks, they were like little pricks up there, little pointy, like nails. So think of like, a, like an axe handle. And one end you hold on, but then on the other end, you drive a nail through it. And the other the, on the other side of the nail, it's coming out of the other side of the of the uh, the axe handle. And you have one in each hand, so you have this big old ox, and you you keep hitting it. The right the, the ox starts to go to the right. You hit it on the right side, and then it turns left. The ox starts to go left. You take it in your left hand, and you start hitting it at the ankles, at the hindquarters. 
so it can go right again. That's what these that's what that's what the goads were. In the hands of the handler. So if you were behind the ox, you would be the handler. This is a huge statement here. Because I'll tell you something, a lot of unlearned people, the Calvinists, people who are into Reformed theology, uh, Presbyterianism, and people who have their doctorates in theology, their master's degree in theology, they say, oh, look, God made him believe. God made him believe, you know, the, the light shone around him and boom, instant believer. But I have a little different perspective. You know, sometimes I hear these arguments and in my heart of hearts, I just am begging to ask the question, have you not read? Have you not read? Do you not understand? Remember who Saul is at this particular moment in history. Remember who Saul, Saul is. He is the one who describes himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. That's from Philippians chapter 3, verse 5. Hardcore Pharisee of Pharisees. So you take a Pharisee. You think, okay, this is a hardcore group in accordance with the law. Pretty hardcore. And he says he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He ups the ante a little bit. I shouldn't say a little bit, a lot of it. He ups, ups the ante. He's hardcore into the law. A Pharisee of Pharisees. Before I make this point, I want to turn to Jonah's gospel really quick. Turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And in Matthew chapter 12, look at verse 41. Jesus Christ is the one who's explaining about the uh, uh, repentance. And he says in, in, in verse 41 of chapter 12, the book of Matthew, he says, the men of Nineveh, will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Because they repented. Repented here, it's metanoio, metanoia, metanoia, metanoio, metanoio, O at the end, metanoio. Three translations here. It's to be confronted, it's to reconsider, and it's to think differently. The people of Nineveh were given a choice, a choice. That's what happens with truth. That's what happens with truth when you, when I, when we're confronted with these things. It's like, okay, when the process of metanoia happens, there's three processes. I'm confronted with it. You're confronted with it. You reconsider your preconceived notions. And then you think differently. That's what repentance means here in this. But this is what the Lord is speaking about in verse 41 about Nineveh. Because they repented. There's a process involved with repentance. It's the acknowledgement of saying, you know what? I'm wrong. A little, you know, take your pride down a couple notches. Because it requires humility to, to say, hey, I'm wrong. Me personally, I'm wrong. 
It takes a lot of humility for you to say, I'm wrong. To reconsider your ways when you're confronted with truth. And then, you know, when you do reconsider your ways, you now think differently. That's what happens with Jonah when he goes to Nineveh. And you know what's so beautiful about the account of Jonah? Turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. In Jonah 3. This is the preaching of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 3 verse 4. This was uh, uh, um, the the preaching that he says. In verse 4 of chapter 3 the book of Jonah. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The people heard that in verse 5. It says, so the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed the fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Sackcloth was a, a clothing of mourning. All the people acknowledged, wow, you know what? I'm wrong. We're wrong. Nineveh was given a choice. And Nineveh made their choice. The king was the one, you know, the uh, uh, the leader of Nineveh was the one in verse 8. He says, let everyone turn from his evil way. It's repentance on a large scale. Revival in Nineveh. Remember, th- this is the, 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 the base camp, the, 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 the capital of the Assyrians. Remember what the Assyrians did with Israel, the 10 tribes in the north? You hear me talk about it a lot. And then the Lord went to them and used them. And they repented. The acute, the, the persecutors of Israel repented and came to the Lord. Just like we're about to see with this fellow by the name of Saul. You say, okay, we're talking about Saul. Why are, why are we talking about Jonah? Because, you know, we're going to look at something in the Old Testament about, you know, this Proposition, the statement that the Lord says to to Saul when he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Remember the little explanation of, you know, who the the handler was. Like if you're a handler standing behind the the ox. And in each hand you have the the goad. Little pricks, little nails at the end of it. Keep that in mind as we look at these passages. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. I have to tell you. You know, many, many, many people don't like goads. Many people don't like goads. But you know what's so beautiful about goads? Is that they're corrective in nature. You go to the right, you get goaded. You get, hey, I got to get back to where I need to be. You go to the left, I get goaded. It's like, man, I need to get back to where I need to be. But what happens when you're like, hey, I don't, I don't like feeling the, the pain of correction. 
I want to feel good about myself. I want to feel good. You know, I'm doing all these wicked things. I want to feel good about it. It's like, man, I don't like the person who goads at me. Even though that person who's goading is trying to help. Look at verse 11 here in Ecclesiastes 12. The words of the wise are like goads. And the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. The word scholars here, it translates as captains of a collection, but it's much deeper than captains because it's husbandry. The, the, the Hebrew word is Baal, the same as, you know, there's Baal worship. You know, there was Baal worship that Israel did, which was evil, but the, the word translates as husband. It's very, very deep love relationship. I kind of think of it, this is going to sound weird, I, I can't explain it. But for me personally, I, I kind of think of it like the military. Because you have like, like when you're like a, a young private, you know, you don't even have to be a young private, but you could be like, you know, a sergeant, but you might have a gunnery sergeant over you or a master gunnery sergeant who's been around the block. You know, they've, they've done things, they've participated in certain campaigns. And so when these people train you, you know, yeah, they're rough around the edges, but you have such respect for these authority figures. It's like, wow, I know this guy is making me do these things, but it's for my betterment. It's not just for my betterment, it's for my safety. Because, you know, he's kind of, you know, rough around the edges with me in one regard. But you know what? When I'm in, you know, I'm in the United States, but when I'm on the front lines in Afghanistan, when I'm on the front lines in Iraq, when I'm on the front lines of whatever, that's when this training is going to really, really shine. And it's like a love, almost like it's like a father figure. And that's what I think of when I think of these captains of a, of a collection, because it, it's, it says scholars in, you know, a, a lot of Bibles, it says scholars or the captains of a collection, but it's much deeper because it relates to a husbandry. It's very deep. And the words of the wise are like goads, and the words of the scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. Notice the capitalization here. Shepherd. You say, why are we in Ecclesiastes? Well, remember what the Lord said to Paul. When Paul fell on the ground, he's on the ground. The light shone around him. He falls to the ground. He hears a voice. Why are you persecuting me? And then he hears the voice say, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Remember who Paul was. A Pharisee of Pharisees. So yeah, Pharisees are hardcore, but he was even more hardcore. He knew the Bible. The Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand. Well-versed in things of the Old Testament. So on fire for the Old Testament that he was going to kill Christians and persecute Christians and have take them away in chains. That's how zealous he was for the law. In fulfillment of the law. And actually, in actual, not fulfillment of the law like Jesus, but I meant fulfillment of the law like actually performing the letter of the law. 
That's how hardcore he was. And he hears this voice say, it is hard for you to kick against the goads, understanding what Ecclesiastes 12.11 says, how the words of the wise are like goads and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. What the Lord Jesus Christ is doing here is he's putting Saul in his place. He's revealing to Saul who he is. He's revealing to Saul who Jesus is. Positionally, I'll explain this further. Turn with me to Exodus 21. Exodus 21. In Exodus 21, you'll recall our study in this chapter in verse 28. Exodus 21, verse 28. A little refresher course because we were just here several Wednesdays ago. But in verse 28, if an ox gores a man or a woman to death, remember what Saul is doing. He's going to go persecute Christians. He already has. He was there present with Saul or with Stephen. And what the Lord is, what he's doing is he's placing Saul in proper position, revealing the Sovereignty of himself, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. Understanding what we read in Ecclesiastes 12 and then here in Exodus 21, verse 28. If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall be surely stoned. Now, to the ears of a, a you know, a, the regular average Joe, they'd be like, well, this is crazy talk. I have no idea what you're talking about. To the learned one, they might say, oh, okay, I kind of get it, I kind of get it. But to the, to the learned one in accordance with the Spirit, there's a major proposition happening here. Jesus Christ is saying, hey, Saul, I'm the handler. You're the ox. Remember ox, a lot of times in the Old Testament, nine, nine times out of ten, refers to the uh, Bible teachers, pastors, and elders. The ox. Remember, you shall not muzzle an ox. You know, let, let the pastor teach because, you know, he has to give an account. He, he keeps watch over your soul. Let him speak. To, you shall not muzzle the ox. Paul makes a, 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 a an argument to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He makes an argument to the church like, you know, hey, you know, you shall not muzzle the ox. But then, you know, also at the same time, it's like, you know, he, he makes these certain arguments liking, likening himself to the ox. And these teachers of truth are often likened to the ox in the Old Testament. And to the Pharisee of Pharisees, this voice, this heavenly voice that Saul is hearing, Understanding what is written in Ecclesiastes 12 about being goaded and, you know, in the hands of the shepherd. And then all of a sudden, this Pharisee of Pharisees having knowledge of the law. 
All of a sudden you see, you know, in verse 28, if an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned. Not only that, in verse 32, if the ox gores a male or female servant, he shall give to their he shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver. You know, and we see the prophetic implications of this when we studied in um, Judas. You know, we made the correlation when we did our study here in, in chapter 21. 30 shekels of silver, a prophecy, you know, of Jesus Christ. The payment. 30 shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned. So all these people, all these people who say, oh, you know what? Look what the Lord, the Lord, you know, uh, 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 changed. He, 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 he made Paul believe at the Damascus Road. This light shined and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, boom, you're a Christian. You know, Saul did believe. But don't forget, precursory to his belief is this one statement from Jesus Christ to a Pharisee of Pharisees. Go to Acts chapter 9 again. And this one little statement. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. That's a loaded statement to a Pharisee of Pharisees. The light shines around him. He falls to the ground. He hears a voice. He asks in the 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 the, the, the he asks, "Who are you, Lord?" And the Lord responds, "I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads." That's a heavy statement to a Pharisee of Pharisees. That's what I mean when I say. The Lord is putting Saul in proper position. Not only that, don't forget, Saul was a student of a fellow by the name of Gamaliel. 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 Turn with me to Acts chapter 5 really quick. Another little refresher course. <clears throat> because in Acts chapter 5, you know, there was uh, uh, more persecution. More persecution. It says in, 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 in verse uh, uh, 33, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. This is the, uh, the religious leaders. And they wanted to kill Peter and John. They wanted to just put him to death. But in verse 34 of Acts 5, then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. It's Paul's teacher. Paul's teacher. Remember the respect that Paul had for his teacher? When he says, you say, what do you mean he had respect for his teacher? Well, I'm flipping pages right now. When I say he had respect... For his teacher. In chapter 22 verse 3. Says that he was brought up in this city. At the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel a teacher of Pharisees. Teacher of Pharisees. Such respect for his teacher. I've had some great teachers in the past. 
Yeah, I, I went to college for a little bit. Not long, you know, very little. But, you know, I had respect for certain professors. And it's like, wow, you know, I like this guy. I like, you know, this teacher. But I would never say, hey, I was brought up at the feet of this guy. I would never say that. I don't, I don't have that level of respect for these teachers. But that's in accordance with the world. There are some pastors that I absolutely love. Not a lot, maybe three or four. There are you know, more pastors that I like that are okay. There's some that I don't like. But there's like three that I absolutely love. That were very helpful in my growth, spiritual growth in Christ. And I could say, hey, I was brought up at the feet of this guy. So much respect. That's what Paul says of Gamaliel. So look at what Gamaliel says in Acts chapter 5. Verse 34, then one of the one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostle, put the apostles outside for a little while. So they have their little private conversation, the religious leaders. And this, these are the words of Gamaliel. And he said to them, man of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men. He's speaking about the disciples or the apostles. Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. They're saying, hey, you know, Gamaliel, he's saying, hey, guys, this Peter guy, this John guy, you know, if what they're doing is just so they can feel good about themselves, just so they can do a lot of good for the community, it's going to come to nothing. It's going to come to nothing. Just like it did with Judas of Galilee. Just like it did with Theodos. He says this in verse 39. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. These are heavy words from a very respected teacher. Very well known and very well respected teacher. The teacher of Saul. So there's a lot of this statement that our Lord makes to, to Saul when he says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. It's a loaded statement. Very loaded to a Pharisee, a Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel. It's a very loaded statement. And I would argue, I would make a hardcore argument that Saul, with this statement, was presented with a choice. Presented with a choice. Remember, he's on the ground, humbled before the Lord. You say, what do you mean he was presented with a choice? Remember, Exodus 21, verse 28. 
If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall be surely, surely stoned. So that's, that's not a choice. Well, it depends who you are. Ask, ask, ask the ox. Verse 32 of Exodus 21. If the ox gores a male or female servant, he shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned. You say, that's not a choice. Okay. Ask, ask the ox. It's kind of weird, you know. Ask, ask the ox. I wonder what the ox would have to say about that. Hey, ox, do you have a choice? Yeah, I do have a choice. I'm not going to gore the man or the woman to death. Hey, ox, do you have a choice? Yeah, I do have a choice. I'm not going to gore the male or female servant to death. That's the choice that this teacher, Pharisee of Pharisees, of the law, was presented with. And you see here, look at verse 6. So he, speaking about Saul now, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? His choice was made. Lord Jesus, you are my handler. The acknowledgement of Jesus, the acknowledgement of my error. Lord, you are my handler now. I conducted my life one way. My whole life I thought one way and conducted myself in accordance to what I thought, in accordance to what I was taught. But then I have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. You are my handler. The goads are in your hands. And you know what? It is hard for me to kick against the goads. You see? Jesus, you are my handler. Jesus, you are my shepherd. Just this statement alone. Lord, what do you want me to do? Saul is not only acknowledging his error, but he's denying himself. Lord, not my will, thy will. You see how beautiful this is? This is a very this is a very good question to ask of the Lord for all of us. Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, "Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do." The Lord is directing. You know, Saul's not wandering around. Saul doesn't stand up and start wandering around. The Lord gives directions to him. And you know what happens? He does these things. He does exactly what the Lord tells him. The Lord will direct your steps. He will. He will guide. He's the good shepherd. The question is, what is my state of humility what is my quietness of heart and quietness of mind? What is my obedience to him so I can hear that still, small voice? That's the question. Not just for me, for you. For all of us. 
to those who abide in Christ. I could say, even to those who don't believe right now. You say, what do you mean? Because you tell this to somebody who doesn't believe right now. And they might say, well, I don't believe that. Okay, you did your part. Or you could say, you know what? The Lord wants to direct your steps. And they could say, man, I want that for my life. I want that for my life. You could be like Jonah. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's a pretty hardcore statement. When you're confronted with truth. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. And you know what? Nineveh heard that and they said, Whoa, we're wrong as a people. Each individual citizen of Nineveh, wow, I'm wrong. When I'm confronted with truth, I'm wrong. What about when you, what about when me, when we're confronted with truth? I'm wrong. And then you repent. You keep reading. You apply these things in your life. You apply truth in your life. And it's not to say like, wow, look, I'm right. I'm right. No, the Lord is right. You, me, we just happen to be abiding in him. Not a period. I'll say a comma. And he abides in you. Oneness. Intimacy. This statement that the Lord makes to Saul. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. That's like. That's a loaded, loaded, loaded statement. Loaded times infinity to a Pharisee. A Pharisee is a student of Gamaliel. A persecutor of the church. A persecutor of the people of the way. It's a loaded statement. In light of what the Pharisee of Pharisees knows. In his own experiences. What he's doing. The work of his hands. The path of his feet. What he's on his way to do. Because remember he's on the road to Damascus. And he says in a statement himself. What he intended to do in Damascus. Still breathing his threats and murder. And if he goes to Damascus and he finds and if he finds anybody who's of the way, anybody, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem to say, "Hey, you're coming with me. You're going to stand before the council, and we're going to kill you." Unless you recant, unless you get rid of you know this faith in Jesus Christ. By order of the high priest, lowercase h, lowercase p. And then the high priest, the real high priest. Knocks on his heart. Knocks on his heart. You see how beautiful this is? That's why, you know, I said, you know, I have to be careful with the first couple verses that we read. Because I tell you the truth, it makes me angry. I don't like this harm that comes against the people of the way. Today and yesterday. I say today and 2,000 years ago. I don't like it. But look at what the Lord does. 
Look at what the good shepherd does for his people. You see, the Lord is directing, you know, what do you want me to do, Lord? In verse six, and he says, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The Lord is directing the steps of Saul, a new believer in Jesus Christ. A new believer, a brand new baby. He, he was a baby many, many moons ago. He was a baby in the flesh and now he's a baby in the faith. But he's a believer. In verse 7, And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless. Translates as dumbfounded and astonished. Hearing a voice but seeing no one. Hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground. Remember, he's on the ground. Positionally speaking, he's on the ground. Being on the ground is a very you know good place to be in terms of humility. Before the Lord. I mean, have you ever prayed standing up? And it's like, okay, you know, I mean, not, I'm not trying to denigrate that. You know, it's, it's beautiful to pray before the Lord. But you pray standing up and it's like, wow, okay, you're praying before the Lord. But then you pray sitting down and you, you, know, you have your head bowed. And it's like, okay, positionally it's a different situation. But then what about when you get on your knees? You close your eyes and you bow down. And you pray. It's a state of, of humility before the Lord. Remember when you pray, you're not praying for show. You're before the throne of grace. And you're bowing your head before the Lord. But then positionally speaking, what about when you fall on your face before the Lord? You're prostrate on the ground. Complete and total acknowledgement of who he is. Complete and total disregard of who you are. Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, what do you want me to do, Lord? In complete and total acknowledgement of his lordship. Lord, you are way up here. You are seated, seated on the throne. And lowly me, I'm prostrate before you. It's beautiful. You read the Bible, you see all these beautiful men, women, and now they pray before the Lord. And so in verse 8, then Saul arose from the ground. And his, when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. So, you know, it, his eyes were open. I mean, you could look at like if you were there, if we were in a time machine, we go back in time, we could look at him and see him and not understand, not even know that he was blind because his eyes were open. But yet he was blind. I can give personal testimony about this, but you know what? I'll refrain from doing that at this juncture. His eyes were open, but he couldn't see. You know, I wonder what modern day doctors would say about that. If you go to the doctor, doctor, look, my eyes are open. I'm sure you can see my pupils, but I can't tell if you're even looking at me because I can't see out of these things. Doctor, doctor, what, 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 what's wrong with me? The doctor says, here, take some Motrin, go take a nap. You say, I don't like that. I'm going to get a second opinion. 
You go to a fancier doctor with more degrees or I guess more doctorates. I don't know how that works. More, you know, doctorish. And it's like, okay, I don't like what this doctor says, so I'm gonna go to this other doctor, a third opinion. Hey doc, look, my eyes are open, but I touch my pupils, I can't even see. But they led him, it says in verse 8, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. You know, this tough guy, Saul. Tough guy. No disrespect to him. Saul, who was formerly still breathing his threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, on his hunt, that if he found any who were of the way, then he would bring them bound to Jerusalem, tie them up, chain them up, and say, here, you know, you're chained up, your wrists are chained up, your ankles are chained up, and here you're tied up to this maiden rope, and we're going to, you know, we're going to Jerusalem. You're toast. But no. The Lord tapped on his heart. I got other plans for you. That's what's so cool about the Damascus Road. You can be on your way to whatever, and then all of a sudden, I stand at the door and knock. Remember the words of our Lord? I stand at the door and knock, and if you hear me, I will come in and sup with you. You could be on the path to whatever. You could be in Nineveh. You could be in Damascus. You could be on the road to Damascus. You could be in the belly of the whale. You could be anywhere. And then all of a sudden. Do you have ears to hear? Who is the one who is knocking on the door of your heart? You know, tough guy Saul. You know, uttering his, you know, still breathing his threats and murder. And all of a sudden he's humbled. He's humbled. Notice the state of humility it must have been for him to be led by the hand. You know, yeah, look at this tough guy. He's going to go and murder these Christians. And now he has to hold on to this guy's hand. Look at the state of humility he's in. Humility before the Lord. The acknowledgement of saying, hey, I need help. I need help. Just saying, I need help, requires a humble heart. How many times do you see people say, oh, I got this, I got this, I got this. You know, there's, it, it, it's, there's some aspects of our culture, some aspects of our conduct, some aspects of what we do where it's like, okay, I got this. Where it's, it's a good thing. Because it means, you know, you're not a baby anymore. You've grown. But to say, like, you know what? I don't got this. Be honest with yourself. I don't got this. People are going through such crazy problems. And they say, oh yeah, I got this. They don't got anything. And they're bearing their problems through a bottle. They're bearing their problems through a needle. Cooking spoons. And they're bearing their problems. They don't got this. You know, in this life you will have tribulation. The words of our Lord. 
The only remedy to that is Jesus Christ. You say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ and I still have tribulation. I, hey, we're not in paradise yet. We're in the world. Paradise is coming. The king will return. Not yet. Not yet. But you know what? To acknowledge in your heart of hearts, to say, you know what? I need help. Yeah, I got this. I got this. I even got that. But for this other thing, man, I don't got that. I need help. I need somebody to lead me by the hand. Remember the eunuch? We studied last week the Ethiopian eunuch. A beautiful, beautiful man. It's like, wow. He says, you know, how can I understand unless somebody show me the way? How can I understand unless somebody teaches me? I have to tell you, for the rest of your life, as long as you live, remember these words. Never, ever, ever shun humility. Never shun humility. Because the people who do shun humility, it's the way and the path of fools. Welcome humility. Welcome humility because, you know, when you have a humble heart before the Lord, when you have a humble heart in reading his word, you'll find righteousness. And you'll fall deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in love with him. Intimacy, more intimacy you'll have with the Lord. That's what's so cool about the Damascus Road. You know, you hear me say every now and then the, the Damascus Road experience. But that word experience, you know, that's a loaded word in itself. Because look at what's happening here in this these, this study of these, you know, several verses here. The Damascus Road, quote unquote, experience. Life changing for Saul. And you know what? Life changing for me, too. In terms of what the Lord has done in and through Saul. We're 2000 years from this, you know, give or take several years. But we're 2,000 years later, and the church is still being edified. Praise be unto the Lord. Who can do such a thing? Only the Lord. You know, so it's so cool. Look what happens here in, in verse 9. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So he's fasting. Fasting unto the Lord. And not just fasting. He's also praying. We're going to see in this future account that he's praying. New believer in Jesus Christ. Now, you know what's so cool? We're going to continue on in our study here. In verse 10. I love this so much. This Another beautiful man. Another beautiful, beautiful man by the name of Ananias. A good Ananias. Remember, there was the bad Ananias. 
the one who lied with the lied to the Holy Spirit with his wife about money. But this is the good Ananias. That's Ananias and Sapphira, the old one. But this is a, a different Ananias. And I love where it kicks off in verse 10 because all these things are happening. You know, the Damascus Road, what we studied here with, with Saul and his, uh, his encounter with Jesus Christ. But meanwhile, something else is happening. Look at verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus. You know what's so cool about this? Is that look at all the action that we've seen happening in Jerusalem thus far when we started the book of Acts. In Jerusalem, you see all the, you know, the major hullabaloo. It's happening, you know, Damascus or, or, or Jerusalem. It's the happening place. The church is growing like gangbusters, you know, it's growing wildly. But then from Jerusalem, remember Philip, the Lord says, okay, I want you to, you know, go to Samaria now. Go into the regions of Samaria and then, you know, go on, on the, uh, you know, on the way to Gaza. And you're going to meet the Ethiopian and then, you know, Saul's on his way to Damascus. He has the Damascus Road experience. So all the all the happening things, quote unquote, it's happening in Jerusalem. Remember Judea, some, uh, Judea, uh, uh, Samaria, and the outer, uh, outer parts of the world. You start to see it starts to grow. The good news starts to go forth. So, like, you could say, like, meanwhile, there's a fellow by the name of Ananias. But look at all the happening things in Jerusalem. All the hustle bustle in Jerusalem. Meanwhile, there's a fellow by the name of Ananias in Damascus. It says in verse 10, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision. This is so cool because the Lord is speaking to him through a vision. Now, there are people here today, there are pe- not here today, but there are people here on this world today who preach, who teach this can't happen. What we see in the book of Acts, the moving of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, the things that we see in the book of Acts, that's impossible today. That was for that dispensation. It was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. That's what people say. Not for today, they say. Fools. You know what's so cool about the last days? I mean, it's going to be rough times. But what's so cool is that fools will be exposed in the last days. Turn with me to Joel really quick. Joel chapter 3. Actually, Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. Joel. Joel. Yahweh is God. That's Joel. The book of Joel chapter 2. Verse 28. These are some... Verses that I have for the naysayers, the ones who say uh, um, that uh, uh, the Holy Spirit was for 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit doesn't move like he moved in the book of Acts. That was for the a dispensation that was 2,000 years ago. It doesn't happen for today. And this is, what, this is what I have to say to those naysayers, to those mockers of truth, to those mockers of the Bible. 
Look at Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Here you see, young men shall see visions. I wonder how old Ananias was. Because he's having a vision. And the Lord is speaking to him through a vision in our study in the book of Acts. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And these naysayers, these mockers of truth, these mockers of the word, these mockers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, that was for that dispensation. That was for 2000 years ago. Keep reading. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Was that for 2,000 years ago? Oh, mocker. Was this 2,000 years ago? Because, you know, I read my Bible. Revelation reveals these things. The book of Revelation reveals these things. I read my Bible and Matthew 24 reveals these things. You know what it also reveals, O mocker? Your foolishness. Repent. Repent. Walk with me. Keep reading. Verse 32. And it shall come to pass, or, you know, still in verse 31, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming and the great an awesome day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, in those days and at that time when I Bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem. I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. The valley of Jehoshaphat. That's the name where it says Jehovah has judged. That's Jehoshaphat. Geographically speaking, it's in the Kidron Valley. It's also known by another name. It's also known as Megiddo. Where the battle of Armageddon is going to happen. Oh, mocker. Was this for 2,000 years ago? No. Let God be true and every man a liar. Look at chapter 2, verse 29 of Joel. I will pour out my spirit in those days. All these people, these mockers, mockers of Jesus Christ and his truth, the word that became flesh. They have their cups upside down. You know, you're thirsty. You want some orange juice. You go to the fridge, you get out the orange juice. You know, you can drink out of the jug and then your wife gets mad at you, you know, but you take a cup and you put the cup. You don't put the cup upside down. Mockers, these deniers of truth, 
Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. That's not for today. They're thirsty. They reach in their fridge, pull out a jug of orange juice. They pull, take a, go in the cabinet, take out a glass, and they put it upside down. And they start to pour their orange juice, and the orange juice spills all over the floor. Gets on the counter, spills on the floor, and you know what? They're still thirsty. They're not satisfied. You know what I say? Fix your cup. Put it right side up. Put it right side up. And let the Spirit, just as he says here in verse 29, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And you know what? When you have your cup right side up, you can receive these things. Be right side up and receive holy oil for your lamp. The ones that don't have their, their cups right side up, they have them upside down. They're going to thirst and they're going to still thirst and they're going to still thirst and they're going to scratch for everything. Oh, I want to see what this guy has to say. I want to see what this guy has to say. I want to see what this lady has to say. And you know what I say? Hey, turn your cup around. The spirit that is poured out, receive. That's one of the beauties of the last days. Not only will these things be exposed, not only will fallacy be exposed, but these people will be given an opportunity to say, hey, repent. Repent, humble yourself before the Lord. Oh, but once saved, always saved. I don't need to repent. You know what? We all need to repent and be transformed. It's such a trip because we look at our study in Acts chapter 8 or in Acts chapter 9. And the Lord is speaking to Ananias in a vision. These people who today, they say, oh, that can't happen. It's not for today. No such thing as visions. Visions can't happen. That was for 2,000 years ago. That was for that dispensation. You know what I say? They're fools. Idiots. Oh, Jay, I don't like how you say idiot all the time. Okay, let me say it in Greek. Idiotes. <laughs> Idiotes. It's in the Bible. I'm just a messenger. Unlearned, untrained, and unskilled. These people, by their own behavior, by their own statements, they are biblically defined idiots. You know what I say? Don't follow these people. You'll fall into a ditch. Don't follow them. The Lord is speaking to Ananias in a vision. The Damascus Road experience, you know what happened with Saul? That's already happened. And the Lord told him, arise and go into the city and, and you will be told what you must do. But meanwhile, there's this other thing happening. You see the, the manifold grace of our Lord. Because yes, he's working in the church in Jerusalem. He's working on this saw on the Damascus road. But he's also working in, in Ananias through a vision. And this is what 
you know, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. Another good statement to say to the Lord, you know, uh, one good statement to say among any and uh, among others is to say like in verse six, Lord, what do you want me to do? But another statement to say before the Lord is here I am, Lord. Lord, here am I. Here am I. The same thing was said of Abraham. When the spirit said to Abraham, Abraham, the Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Samuel said the same thing. The Lord cries out to Samuel, Samuel. Samuel was just a little boy. Samuel. And Samuel says, Lord, your servant hears. You know what I love about Ananias? What I love about Saul when he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? What I love about Samuel in the Old Testament. What I love about Abraham in Genesis. Genesis 22. A state of readiness. State of readiness. It's like, you know, your active duty. And, you know, you might be stationed in one place. You might be in, you know, say Camp Pendleton. And you're, you know, you're at your duty station, you're in the fleet. You go out on these ships and you go and patrol in the ocean. You go and do these, you know, all kinds of different things. But then all of a sudden a hot spot arises. Somewhere in the globe, Somalia, a hot spot arises. It's to say, man, you've been trained up. You have your gear. You know how to fight. You're equipped. You know how to use the equipment. You know how to use all these things. You could do all these things. And you know, this hot spot arises in Somalia. You're in a state of readiness and boom, you're off. Ready to go. That's the life of a Christian today. A state of readiness. Yeah, all this action was happening in Jerusalem. All the, you know, the Holy Spirit was moving. And is still moving today. It was not just for that dispensation. It was not just for 2,000 years ago. You know, that's the argument of fools. Idiotes. What I'm saying is, don't be an idiotes. Don't be unlearned. Don't be untrained. Don't be unskilled. But Ananias, beautiful, beautiful Ananias, was in a state of readiness. A hot spot pops up in Somalia and, he, you know, he's ready to go. A hot spot arises in Damascus. And the Lord cries out to him, hey, Ananias, through a vision, he says, here I am, Lord, state of readiness. What about today? Who has ears to hear? Who has eyes to see? What about when the Lord says, you know what? Yeah, all this stuff is happening on the world. Yes, these things are happening. But you know what? I have a special task for you. Who's the one that not only hears that, hears of him, no disrespect to the Lord by saying that, but who is the one who says, here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? And so the Lord said to him in verse 11, arise. He gives him directions how many times do you see the lord directing the path of his people 
You see it all over the place, directing the path. Arise and go to the street called Straight. He's very specific too. It's not just saying like, you know, hey, you know, go in this direction. It's saying like, hey, you know, be very specific. Arise, go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. You see, like, you know, when we see like in uh, uh, in verse 9, when Saul was there three days at, uh, and he was three days without sight and either ate or drink. And I said, you know, he was fasting and he was praying. It's like it doesn't say he was praying, but you keep reading. Keep reading. The Lord reveals to Ananias and reveals to us today like, hey, Saul was praying. You see these specific instructions arise go i mean imagine ananias taking notes you know i'm gonna get up from here i'm gonna go i'm gonna go to the street called straight and there's a house of judas i'm gonna go to that house and then when i get to that house i'm gonna knock on the door and say hey is saul of tarsus here oh by the way the guy praying you see the lord is giving specific instructions he has eyes on the landscape of the earth. And he saw Saul praying. Saul had his Damascus Road experience. And not only that, he sees Ananias. And he wants to speak to Ananias through a vision. And he gives him this vision. And he's saying these things. Giving him very, very specific instructions. In verse 12. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So as as the Lord is giving Ananias this vision, the Lord is also giving Saul a vision, giving Saul guidance in visions. What do the idiotes say? God doesn't do that anymore. God doesn't give visions anymore. That was for 2,000 years ago. That was for that dispensation. It's not for today. Oh, because I, I listened to this guy, you know, he's very published. He has a huge church and he's, you know, he has all these books. He's got a doctorate in whatever. And he says that was for that dispensation. And because I'm a man pleaser, because I follow a man, I listen to what he says. And now I teach these things. That was for that dispensation. What does the Bible say? What does Joel say? The prophet Joel. I will pour out my spirit in those days. Such people. The teachers of these things. The propagators of these things. They're upside down cups. In the last days. It is life threatening to be an upside down cup. Life threatening. The Lord Jesus Christ teaches us through a parable in Matthew 25 about 10 virgins. Five are wise and five have upside down cups. Be upright and receive holy oil for your lamp. Because you're going to need it in the last days. You will definitely need it. If you don't have it, say goodnight. Weeping and gnashing. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
I shouldn't say if you don't have it, if you don't have him, the Holy Spirit, who has immense amounts of oil to those who have ears, to those who have eyes to see. Look at verse 13, still in Acts 9. Then Ananias answered, and I, I love this so much, because you see the humanity of Ananias. You see human nature in his response to the Lord. You see fear. Ananias is scared. You know, you hear me talk, you know, you, when, when uh, we talk about, you know, when uh, Jesus Christ was in the tomb, they buried him in the tomb. And you see the men who are the scaredy cats and they go and hide because they're afraid of the Romans. They're afraid of the religious leaders, the Jews, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They're just freaked out. But then you have these brave women. And what I love about Ananias, I would dare not call him a, a scaredy cat. You see humanity, He's honest before the Lord. You do see fear. In verse 13, then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how such, how much harm he has done to your saints or how much injury, harm and evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. He's telling the Lord, Lord, many people are saying this about him. And you know what's so cool about the Lord and intimacy with him is that he directs steps. He will do. He directed the steps of Ananias and he'll direct your steps. Number one, don't be an upside down cup. Be right side up. Don't be an idiote. I got to tell you, there's a lot of idiotes in the world today, in the church today. People say, you know, I used to say idiots. Uh, people, you know, people come up to me after church, you know, like, uh, I don't like how you say idiot all the time. Okay. I won't say it anymore. Idiote, you know? Don't be an idiote. Many people, he's, Ananias is saying this to the Lord. Lord, many people are saying this about Saul. He's, you know, in verse 11, he told, look for this guy. Go to the house of Judas, the one called Saul of Tarsus. I wonder if that was just like, you know, his ears perked up at that, like, um, you know. Is this the Saul of Tarsus I've heard about? And so when the Lord is done in the vision, Ananias speaks and says, I've heard a lot about this guy. You know, he's done a lot of harm. A lot of injury he's caused to your saints in Jerusalem. You know, who cares what, quote unquote, many people say? Many people what does God say in the matter? In verse 14, Ananias is still, you know, making his case. He says, and here he has authority here in Damascus. He has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. I have to tell you something about fear. It's okay. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to have fear over, you know, certain situations, maybe certain people like Ananias, but also like Ananias, go to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. 
What would the Lord have you do? Just like Paul, just like Ananias. Here I am, Lord. What would you want? What What do you want me to do? And the Lord says, "Hey, I want you to go to Saul." And like, whoa, oh, Lord, I've heard about this guy. He's caused great harm. He has authority to bind all who call upon your name. Ananias is giving his fear to the Lord. You know, if I was a dumb Calvinist, you know what I would say? How dare you question the Lord? God is sovereign. How dare you question him? He is sovereign. Remember, Isaiah chapter 1, the Lord is the one who says, Come and let us reason together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be his name. He's very gentle. Very, very gentle. Give him your fear. Like Ananias. In verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. You know what's so cool about this verse? You know, the attributes and the characteristics and even the character seen by God. I mean, I don't mean to I don't mean to paint this lightly or gloss over the fact that Saul was a persecutor of our early brothers and sisters. But his his zeal was for the letter of the law. His zeal wasn't for killing Christians and imprisoning Christians. He wasn't like, man, I'm going to kill these people because I'm a I'm bloodlust. Blood you know, I, I, I like blood. I like violence. I'm doing it for the sake of that. No, he was doing it for the letter of the law. And I'm not glossing over the, the harm. I'm not glossing over that. But the Lord knows the heart. And the Lord said, hey, Saul, you're looking at the letter of the law. Look to the spirit of the law. And you see, you have a different Saul now. And the Lord is telling Ananias, you know, he is my chosen vessel to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So Saul had these attributes and these characteristics, except now these attributes and characteristics and nature and character itself are given to the service of the Lord. Just like we read in Exodus on Wednesday, in Exodus chapter 35. All these talents, all these attributes and characteristics of a whole bunch of different people in the camp of Israel are now given to God. Experts in tapestry, experts in, you know, learned people who are able to teach in Exodus 35. You see these things, they are now given in the service of the Lord. And the same is said today too. All these things given to the service of the Lord and in the service of the Lord for his glory. In verse 16, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake for my name's sake you see and you know what the things that he suffered was in the edification of the body it was for the edification of the body and for the equipping of the body this is for the body of christ that saul himself caused harm to 
he caused harm to. And now the Lord puts him in his service. So Ananias, he gives his fear to the Lord. You know, the Lord is telling him, go to, go to this house, go to, get up, arise, go down the street, look for the street called Straight, go to the house of Judas, you know, inquire about that, you know, knock on doors, you know, where's Judas live? Where does Judas live? Judas was a common name back then. It's not Judas Iscariot. Go to the house called Judas, you know, inquire at the house of Judas, knock on the door, they answer the door. Maybe it was Judas, maybe not, I don't know. Maybe it was Judas's daughter. Oh, hey, little girl, I'm looking for a guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Little girl, I don't know who he is. Oh, it's the guy praying. Oh, there's a guy praying here. You come in, you know, hi, I'm Ananias. Is this Saul of Tarsus? Yeah, that's him. You see, the Lord is arranging a divine appointment. The Lord is directing the path. The Lord is directing the steps. And so Ananias, when he hears what the Lord wants him to do, he's freaked out like, Lord, I'm scared. I'm scared, Lord. Except he gives his fear to the Lord. He gives it back to him. Lord, this is a guy who's causing harm to the church. And the Lord says, he's my chosen vessel. I'm going to use him. And so in verse 17, and Ananias went his way. You see, you see how beautiful this is? Ananias went his way. He gave it to the Lord. He, he tells the Lord, Lord, many people are saying this. Many people are saying that. But Lord, what do you have to say about the matter? Be honest with the Lord. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with the Lord. You know, it's like so many people, they're like, you know, oh, I got this, I got this, I got this. That's kind of prideful, you know, be careful with that pride. I got this, I got this, I got this. I can do this, I can hack it, I can do this. But at what point will you say, you know what, I can't do this? You give it to the Lord. And the Lord will direct your steps. The Lord will say, hey, go south, you know. Go to Gaza, just like he did with Philip. Just like he did with Paul, with Saul. He says, go, you know, go to the city and you'll be told what you must do. He says to Ananias, hey, you know what? You know, go, go to the street called Straight. Go to the house of Judas. Go look for Saul of Tarsa because he's praying. Behold, he's praying. He's directing the steps. And Ananias in verse 17, Ananias went his way way you know remember many people are saying this about him who cares who cares what quote unquote many have to say about whatever what does the lord have to say in your intimacy with him when you go when you fall on your face before the lord and seek his face lord what is your will and he will speak he does speak. What if the Lord gives you a vision? Remember, the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God is the same. All these naysayers, these mockers, these defectors of truth who say, that was for that dispensation, it's not for today. Well, what if the Lord speaks to you in a vision? Are you going to dismiss it? And say, oh, this famous pastor says it's impossible, so therefore the Lord's not speaking to me. 
oh, this person whom I love is telling me that was for that dispensation. So I have a vision. I have a dream. And I'm not saying, you know, follow your dreams and all these. I'm saying, you know, when it aligns with the word, pray about it. Seek the Lord. Lord, is this you? Lord, is this your voice? Are you directing my steps, Lord? And you test the spirits. And then all of a sudden, your relationship with him becomes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, it's so cool how the Lord speaks. You remember the prophecy of Joel too. And it will come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and maid servants. That's men and women. You know, a lot of guys like to say, oh, I'm the man. Women, you have to submit. No, it doesn't work that way. The spirit is poured out on all flesh. Men servants and maid servants. I will pour out my spirit in those days. To be an upside down cup in the last days is life threatening in this life and the life to come. You say, whoa. I don't like how you say it that way. It's kind of scary. You know what I say? You can't see me, but I got a smile on my face. Praise be to the Lord. You know, there are certain times I read the Bible and it freaks me out. But it freaks me out because it's like, whoa, you know what? I better make sure that I'm abiding in Christ. You know, I say that for my, for my own soul. And I say that to you to encourage you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so Ananias went his way and entered the house in verse 17 and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, you see this beautiful and holy meeting with new brothers, Ananias, who was a Christian, you know, and then all of a sudden Saul, who's a baby Christian, brand new believer in faith. And you see this divine appointment arranged by the Lord. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, on the road as you came, he has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is why when the Lord, when, when Saul says of the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? In verse six, the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. You know, all of a sudden, you know, Saul's been praying. He's been fasting. He's been praying for three days. And then all of a sudden he hears a knock on the door. He hears a little conversation at the door. You know, yeah, my name is Ananias. Is there a guy named Saul of Tarsus here? little girl says, oh, no, I don't know, a Saul of Tarsus. Well, the guy praying. Oh, yeah, there's a guy praying. Come on in. Ananias goes in the house. Judas comes. I am Judas, you know. Or Ananias says, hi, Judas. I'm Ananias. Nice to meet you. Is there a fellow by the name of Saul of Tarsus here? Yeah, he's right there. He's praying. He's right there. And Saul hears these things. And then all of a sudden... He feels a hand on his shoulder. You see? And not just feels the hand on his shoulder. He hears the voice. Brother Saul, 
a former persecutor of the church, of our early brothers and sisters, violence on his hands, the steps of his feet were violence. And this hand, he's blind, he can't see. His eyes are open, but he can't see. He feels the hand, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road that as you came has sent me that you may be that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to make special note in our study through the book of Acts how many times we see a people or a person filled with the Holy Spirit. It's very important. You know, we had our study a couple weeks ago. We talked about um Simon, the Holy Spirit skipped over him because his heart wasn't right before the Lord. But how many times you see people who are filled with the Holy Spirit? You have a people who are not on empty. They are filled. They have cups that are right side up. The church today, a huge majority of the church today have upside down cups. And you know what? They're being exposed in these days. Their fallacies, their doctrines, their false doctrines, their idiotes are being exposed. They're being exposed as idiotes. I'll go back to English. They're being exposed as idiots. Stupid people. Unlearned. Untrained. And unskilled. It's very dangerous to follow these people. Very, very dangerous in the last days. But you see these beautiful people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Men and women, we're not, you know, we're like, we're, we're just getting started in the book of Acts. You're going to see the Holy Spirit move like you're, we're going to read it and be like, is this even possible today? And I say, yes, it is possible today. Never, ever, ever forget the prophecy of Joel. Prior to, in, in Joel chapter 2, verse 30, prior to uh, uh, the wonders in heaven and in the earth, prior to the blood and fire and pillars of smoke, prior to the sun being turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming and the great and awesome day of the Lord, prior to the battle of Jehoshaphat, the valley of Jehoshaphat, the battle of, the, of Armageddon, Mockers, naysayers, defectors of truth will say that was for 2,000 years ago. But adherence to truth, those who adhere to truth will say, make sure your cup is right side up because the spirit is being poured out in these days. The spirit is being poured out. And so you see, in closing, immediately in verse 18, immediately in Acts chapter 9, verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. Translates as flakes. Flakes. You know, turn with me really quick to Psalm 119. Really quick. And in Psalm 119, verse 18 Oh, wait, Psalm 119, verse 18. 
open my eyes that I may see. We have the song, you know, uh, open my eyes, let me see. You know, my, my tune is off. But we sing these songs. We worship the Lord with these songs. Open translates as uncover. Uncover my eyes that I may see or behold and regard with pleasure. Wondrous things from your law. You know, when you read the letter of the law, it's not very wondrous. But when you read the spirit of the law, it's wondrous indeed because it points to Jesus Christ, son of the most high God, the Messiah, the returning king. Wondrous things from your law. What happens to Saul in Acts 9? What happens is that, you know, it says immediately in chapter 9, verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He now sees. And he received his sight at once. Remember, he was, you know, he received Jesus Christ. He's been fasting. He's been praying. And the scales fall at this beautiful divine appointment with Ananias. The scales fall, and all of a sudden, he's no longer an adherent to the letter of the law. He's an adherent to the spirit of the law, which points to Jesus Christ. He believes in Jesus Christ. He's abiding in Jesus Christ. Granted, he's, granted he's a brand new, brand, brand new believer. Brand new believer, baby Christian. But still empowered. And we're going to see, you know, just like the Lord says, you know, he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. We're going to see he's like a rocket ship. The Lord takes his life and it just blows up like crazy. And he's like a rocket ship for the gospel, for the good news, for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the, for the name of Jesus Christ. You see, in verse 19, this is the last verse we're going to look at. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. So you remember, he's been fasting. So he's done fasting. He receives his sight. He, you know, and then he was baptized. And now he has a meal. He starts to eat some food. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at, Dam Dam at Damascus. You see, his former prey, P-R-E-Y, his former prey are now his family. He had one, you know, the high priest, lowercase h, lowercase p, the higher high priest gave them, you know, he, he, he gave them a, a special mission to go into Damascus and capture Christians. But the real high priest in the order of Melchizedek, capital H, capital P, the real high priest, Jesus Christ, son of the most high God, says, you know what? I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to change your heart. Saul, his life is transformed at this moment. His life is transformed because we're going to read we're going to see the steps of his feet and the work of his hands and not only that we're going to read from the work of his hands as he pens these letters we're going to read from the speech of his voice as he as he speaks these words and a scribe writes them the book of Corinthians Romans Galatians Ephesians exhortations to pastors Timothy and Titus we're going to see his life is radically transformed that's why I say his prey is now his family because he's transformed and he dies for these people. He had his head chopped off by historically by Nero. Nero. 
It cost him his life. He died for Jesus Christ. He died for the sake of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. You see? Equipping the saints. Edifying the body of Christ. This is an entirely different, different guy. He's not who he used to be. And the same applies to you. The same applies to all who believe. I don't care what path you're on. The question is, do you believe? You say, yes, I believe. I say, repent. Repent and believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in the Son of the Most High God. And you will be saved. And then read His Word and obey. You see how He works? It's so incredible. It's so beautiful going through the book of Acts because it's like a little refresher course. Like, wow, you know, I have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is with me. But wow, I had no idea he could do all these things. I had no idea that, you know, I could have dreams. I could have visions. I had no idea about healing. I had no idea about these miracles. I had no idea about, you know, this and that. But you read the Bible and you're like, whoa, this is wild. In a good way, not wild in a bad way, like wild, like, whoa. But the naysayers and the mockers that are being exposed in the last days, the idiotes, they say that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. And what I say, it's a stern warning is to say, hey, if you follow these people, you will fall into a ditch. And that's what you're seeing in the last days. A lot of families in ditches because they've heeded the counsel of these people. But you know what's so cool? is to say, you know what? I don't want to follow the idiotes anymore. No, I'm going to go to the good shepherd. I'm going to learn from his word. You see the intimacy that the Lord desires? Praise be to his name. We're going to end our study here, and we'll pick up next week, Lord willing, right here where we left off. Love you guys. Miss you guys, and um, uh, God bless you.